Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he had led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame out of the midst of the bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your fathers, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to bring them to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met us, and now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and I will strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. 
and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and your daughters. So shall you plunder the Egyptians. And from the book of Revelation. Our New Testament reading is Revelation 5, 11 through 13. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, in your kindness and in your mercy, we ask now by the power of your spirit that you would do the thing, Lord, that only you can do. Lord, it's the thing we must have you do. Lord, it's the thing you've promised to do, and that is by the power of your spirit to make alive these words that are in your word. Lord, would you make them alive in such a way that they stir up fresh hope in our Lord Jesus, we pray. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Well, in our first week in the book of Exodus, I brought you some song lyrics from Bob Dylan as an introduction to our sermon. And in the second week, I brought you song lyrics from the hymn writer, William Cooper. And then in our third week, last week in the book of Exodus, I brought you song lyrics from a children's song. So I thought about today going four for four, but instead, I will spare you. I bring you a quote from a theologian that I admire. And I'm gonna have to read it a few times for you to get your mind around it. Here it is, quote. God is what God does. God the God of the Bible, the one in this story who's going to be called the great I am, the Lord. The Lord is what the Lord does. Now this is a theologian's way of capturing in a short phrase, something that is vitally important to understanding the God who's revealed in the pages of the Bible. And it's vital to understand that the God who is revealed in the pages of the Bible, his character and his actions are always perfectly aligned. His character and his actions are always perfectly aligned. 
See, I'm a person, I'm not God, I'm a creature, I'm even a fallen creature. And therefore, I can act outside of my character. I can do things that suddenly call into question my character. The Lord who's revealed in the Bible can never do that. And that is essential to understanding the heart and soul of this passage. And it's essential to understanding what God means when he tells Moses that his name is I am. Another way to say it would be not just I am, but I will be what I will be. So that's perhaps the main thing I want you to hear this morning. If you don't hear anything else I say, the main thing I want you to walk away from hearing this morning is that our Lord is revealed in his actions for us. And that gives us great hope this morning that I hope you can see. So here's how we'll go about this in our time together. What I, what I want to do is to look at really is three features of this name I am. It's a lengthy passage I read for you, but we're really gonna focus on just a few verses where God gives his name. And I wanna focus on a few features of this. In the first case, this name I am has to do with God's utter holiness, and we'll talk about that for a few minutes. The second thing is in God giving this name, I am, or I am the Lord, um, there's something being told about God's lordship over us. The fact that he is the Lord of our lives really matters, and it matters deeply, and it's gonna matter for everything that we do. We'll talk about that for a few minutes. And then finally, this feature of this name, I am, the third feature will be about God's faithfulness. Because again, he's revealed most in his actions for his people. So that's how we'll proceed here this morning. Now, I wanna give you a recap of what has happened so far before we look at those three features. So if you were with us from the beginning, you'll know that God's people are in Egypt. They're increasing greatly. All of God's promises are being fulfilled to them. God had made a promise to the ancient forefather Abraham that he would bless them and he blessed them in such a way that they would become a great nation, more numerous than the sand on the seashore, more numerous than the stars in the sky. And those promises are coming true, but they're coming true in Egypt God's people are enslaved. And God's promises coming true and God's people flourishing causes Pharaoh, the king in Egypt, to be threatened. So he enslaves the people of Israel in order to press them down so that they could not escape and perhaps fight against him. But they just keep increasing because God's promises can't be stopped, see? So the Pharaoh becomes incensed and he Issues an edict where all male babies would be killed. That doesn't work. So he says, fine, all male babies thrown into the Nile. And that doesn't work because there's one male son of Israel, Moses, who gets put into the Nile. And his trip down the Nile actually becomes a trip of deliverance by which he travels to safety into Pharaoh's own house where he grows up to be the deliverer. And because of a conflict that happens, Moses ends up having to flee Egypt. He's in the wilderness. The Lord out in the wilderness gives him a family. 
but he's in the wilderness minding his own business, tending flocks when this happened. Verse one, chapter three. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led this flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. This is just normal shepherd business so far. But he looks and he sees that there's a flame that's coming out of the bush, but the bush is not being burned up. It's like it's, it's, it doesn't need fuel. It's burning on its own kind of fuel, but not consuming the bush. And he finds this to be an interesting sight and he turns aside to look at it. And from there, God speaks. Now, this is what um, biblical scholars would call a theophany. That's a fancy word of saying an encounter with God. They happen throughout the pages of the scriptures a few different times in the Old Testament. um, Times throughout the pages of scriptures, God will encounter a person. It's called a theophany. And these theophanies, these encounters with God that happen are central parts of the Bible's story. They're important places to mark. Often at a theophany, a God encounter, the Lord will also do another thing. He will call someone into service. And that's what's happening here. And from the bush, the voice of the Lord comes and tells Moses, I am going to send you. And of course he says, why me? Which is something we'll talk about more fully next week. Moses' kind of nervousness and objection to all of this. And the Lord simply says back to him, I'm gonna send you. Why me? Because I'm gonna send you. Then Moses has this question, okay, if you send me, and it's like the Lord saying, yeah, and I'm going to. And the people say to me, Okay, you met a God in the wilderness? What God did you meet? What's his name? What am I supposed to say? Verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So what's going on with this name, I am? This is one of the most mysterious passages in all of scripture. It's a strange answer to the question. Moses says, what's your name? And the Lord says, I am. And you can imagine Moses saying back, that's what I'm asking you. (laughs) There's something happening here. Here's the first thing. This is part one. Everything else has been introduction until right now. That should make you a little nervous. This name I am at first glance is at least, is at least unfolding this idea of the sheer holiness of our God. So when the Bible uses the word holy, what it means at its most basic sense is other, different, unique, not like us, unable to fit in a category. 
So when the angels are crying out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, they're essentially saying, not like us, not like us, not like us is the Lord Almighty. Unique, unique, unique is the Lord Almighty. Utterly distinct, utterly distinct, utterly distinct from anything else you know, from anything else you can think of, from anything else you can imagine is the Lord God Almighty. Different, different, different. Other, other, other. The fact that he says, I am, he's saying something like, I pre-exist. I am the most basic fundamental reality in the universe. I am. See, if I were to begin to introduce myself to you, I would say something to you like, hey, I'm Joel. Um, I was born in 1982. Uh, I, I, you know, I start telling you something of an origin story. Um, I grew up about 20 minutes west of here down Lakeshore in Bessemer, Alabama. My parents are, I begin to tell you of an origin story and the interesting thing about God is he doesn't have one because he's always been and he always will be. He doesn't fit any kind of category that we can conceive of. It has to do with his sheer holiness and the fact that he's not dependent on any other being in the universe for him to be who he is. See, the fire burning in the bush is a symbol of this. This fire is just burning, but no fuel is being taken up to feed it. It's like the fire itself was self-generating and self-sufficient, and that's something of what we're supposed to catch about the Lord here. God doesn't need anything. That's hard for us to imagine because all we are is need. That's all we are. But God is completely independent. Like imagine this for a second. Imagine if you asked me what my name was and I simply say to you, I am what I am. You'd be like, what? who is this person that's so arrogant to think he's just that? And that's because I'm a creature. But the Lord is just that. He is just sheer himself, if that makes sense. Now, any time that someone encounters the sheer holiness of God in the scriptures, one, they're nervous. Moses is afraid to look on such sheer holiness. It's like the second thing they do is realize their own lack of holiness. Woe is me, I am undone. This is what the prophet Isaiah says. And then the third thing that they do, which is I think the invitation for us this morning in light of this divine name I am, they just immediately get very, very low in worship. The psalmist will say things like, worship the Lord in the splendor or in the beauty of his holiness. It's a hard thing to get your mind around, but the fact that the God of the Bible is so utterly what he is becomes the generative source by which we worship him. 
Now that is both in song, like we did a few moments ago, but it's also in life. And that leads us to this second feature I wanna point out to you about this divine name. So again, look with me at verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Verse 15, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord. Now when, when God uses the name the Lord, this is somewhat of a side note. Whenever we hear this, this name, the Lord, you'll see it in your English Bibles often as capitalized. Do you see that? Do you see in verse 15, it said, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord. Wherever you get the Lord capitalized like that, that is God's proper name. Okay, so for example, I'm a man, but I am Joel. Okay, he is God and he is the Lord. It's his proper name. But even the proper name itself implies something about his lordship over our lives. See, there's something happening in this second feature of God's mastery over us. See, in the ancient Near East, people wanted to give deities names. See, they would want to name a God and then they knew they could conjure that God to do things for them. So to ask to name a God, this is in fact, scholars say in some ways Moses is saying like, do I get to name you here? Can I name you here? Because if I can name you, you can do for me what I want you to do. See, to name a thing in the ancient world is to have authority over it. This is why Adam in Genesis can name the animals because he's given dominion over them. So it's Moses' way of saying like, who's gonna really have the dominion over who here? Which is just pagan religion. That's just like sheer pagan religion. So he's grown up in Egypt. He's got this history with the God of Israel, but he's kind of beginning to wonder like, who gets to be Lord here? But the story itself is God's answer to that question. He's the Lord, he gets to be the Lord, the master. Did you notice when I read this that, that, um, that the Lord appears to Moses and says, I'm going to send you. Well, why me? I'm going to send you. Well, I can't even, later he's gonna say, I can't even speak, I'm going to send you. See, it's not like the Lord came and did what we would think the Lord ought to do, which is somewhere in a bush, offer an opportunity to deliver Israel that Moses is welcome to apply for. If it fits his schedule. And if he's got the gifts. I'm gonna send you because I'm the Lord. And this is gonna affect everything about Moses' life and it's gonna affect everything about you and I's life to know that we are underneath the lordship of a Lord. We're gonna have to do different things with our bodies. We're gonna have to do different things with our time. We're gonna have different patterns of behavior. God's lordship is gonna creep into every part of who we are, including our emotional lives including the way we spend our resources. The fact that the Lord is the Lord means that the people of Israel are gonna have to rethink the way they manage their flocks and their cattle. 
They're gonna have to rethink the way that they do relationships. The most minute details we're gonna see in, in, book of, in the book of Exodus and further in the book of Leviticus, the most minute details of their life will come underneath the lordship of the Lord. They have to think different thoughts, they have to feel different feelings, they have to do different stuff because it's the Lord. So you and I get this exactly wrong, don't we? We think we're gonna do our thing and then we're gonna ask the Lord to bless us doing our thing. If you don't believe me about that, and I'm speaking to me, I can just think about the way I pray. And my prayers typically are, Lord, I'm planning on doing this because it's the thing that I want to do, so if you could come along and bless the thing I'm planning to do, that would be great, amen. It's not the right God we're dealing with if we think it works that way. So this I am name has to do with his utter holiness, distinctness, otherness, which invites us to worship. And the fact that he is the Lord, the master of all, invites us, I believe, to be people who yield just yield. We've talked about it before around Grace Fellowship, but it's a simple change of posture from this to this. It's a change in posture from being curved in on ourselves to being open to what he is doing. It's a change in posture to be stiff-necked and rebellious. It's having a heart that's open the ways that he decides he's going to lead. So the first feature is of his sheer holiness. The second one is of his lordship. The third one is a sheer sign of his faithfulness. Because here's the thing about this God who is so holy and utterly distinct and so master and king and Lord of the universe. And that's that he perfectly comes through on all the things that he promises always. Back to verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, all those people before that have always been so faithful to do exactly what I promised, that Lord, tell them I've sent them to you and this will be my name forever and it's the way I'm going to be remembered from all generations. He's saying he's going to be remembered from all generations by his sheer faithfulness. It's the way God most wants to be known. He wants to be known as a God who keeps promises. That's why the fathers are mentioned. It's interesting back in verse 12, and I wonder if you picked up on it. Moses is confused about this, and he goes, here's a sign I'll give you. This will be the sign. You're going to worship me here again on this mountain. Do you notice how that's strange? The sign is something in the future. See, we expect God to give us a sign and then we'll go. 
But instead, he's going to go because the Lord's gonna take him there and then he'll get the sign on the other end as proof of faithfulness. Does that make sense? Another way this can be translated, I am that I am. Another way that this can be translated that begins to point us to this sheer faithfulness bit is I will be what I will be. Another way it could be said is I will show you exactly who I am because of all the things I'm going to do for you, namely lead you out of slavery under the heavy hand of Pharaoh and into the promises and blessings of obedience to me. Another way it can be said is something like I'm going to prove to you exactly who I am as I prove my character for you, both starting right now and in everything I'm going to do afterward. I am what I am and I will be what I will be. Here's a, here's a sentence that I read a couple of weeks ago that captures this. And this has meant so much to me this week for some reason. I wonder if it will mean something to you. To capture this idea of God's sheer promise to be utterly, impeccably faithful to everything that he's promised. Here, here's the sentence. Anywhere and anytime God is being God He will be being the exact kind of God that God is there. Anytime you find God being God, which is always, and anywhere you find him being God, which is everywhere, he will be being the exact kind of God that he is in all of those places. See, there's more names that are coming. He will be a provider, he'll be a protector, he'll be the strength for the weak. He'll be the one who sees, the one who heals. So on and so forth and so on. 600 or something names for him will come. Anywhere you find God being God, he'll be the exact kind of God that he is. In other words, in other words, and, and this is just, this means something to us. It's all our hope. In other words, this Lord is not the kind of Lord that's going to talk in a bush and Moses is gonna then go to Pharaoh and then in that moment, the Lord won't be there for him when it happens. He's not the kind of God who's gonna talk to him in a bush, tell him to go, and he's worried about going because he stutters and can't speak very well. He's not the kind of God that will then leave him stammering in front of Pharaoh. He's not the kind of God that will speak in a bush, make Moses go to Pharaoh. Pharaoh is there and he says, let my people go. And then Pharaoh indeed is convinced over time through plagues to let the people go. And then they run into a Red Sea and now they're just toast because Pharaoh's army is pressing in and there's nothing. And it's not like at that moment God's going to leave them because he's going to be the exact kind of God that he is in that place. He's not the kind of God who's gonna speak to him in a bush. Send him to Pharaoh. Send him to the Red Sea. And then after parting the Red Sea, get on the other side in the wilderness and not have food to eat and the Lord suddenly says, tough luck, sucker." 
The word sucka was not in my notes. <laughs> he's not the kind of God who's not then going to do for them what he's promised to do. When they fail him and disobey him, he's not the kind of God that's gonna overlook that as if that's no big deal. Because he will be who he promises he will be. See, there's another place where God says his name again in Exodus chapter 34. And he says, I am the Lord, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, who will by no means clear the guilty. Because I will be what I will be. And when you receive the bare consequences of exile, when you receive the bare consequences of disobeying my covenant, I'm not the kind of God who will not come to you again with grace and mercy to atone for everything that you've done and to lead you back into the wilderness and to speak to you tenderly and to win you back to myself because I will be what I will be. He's not the kind of God who then sort of suddenly won't won't come in the flesh in the person and work of Jesus. He's not the kind of God who then won't go to the cross in order to forgive, to win atonement. He's not the kind of God who won't be raised from the dead. He's not the kind of God who won't somehow ascend to the right hand of God, God the Father to uphold the universe by the word of his power. He's not the kind of God who will leave this world hurting and broken without redeeming it fully and finally one day at his return. Because he will be the kind of God that he will be in all the places, all the time, exactly as the kind of God he is. Now, I cannot possibly know I cannot possibly know the exact places in your life where you need the Lord to be exactly what the Lord is. But I'm just telling you, he will be exactly the kind of Lord that he is all the time in all places always. You need his provision, he will be what he will be. You need his protection, he will be what he will be. You need his strength in places you are weak, I will be what I will be. You need his comfort. I am that I am. I will be what I will be. You need forgiveness this morning. I will be what I will be. See, there's something that happens in our life, I think, when you follow Jesus. And I don't mean to speak as someone seasoned and experienced in all the things that a person can be seasoned and experienced with. But here's how it's played out in my life. We we learn about God, we go to church, we trust him. There are things that happen in our life that cause us sorrow and pain. And we sometimes can begin to doubt his character and his actions. 
But if you hold on long enough, what you'll see is that he always comes through exactly in all the things that he promised. There's a place in this same story which says that God fulfilled all the promises that he, that he spoke to Moses. Not one of them failed. There's been things that happened in my life that have not been easy, that were not my plan, and I didn't fully understand. But in none of those places did the Lord ever fail me. So in other words, this third feature of this divine name probably is an invitation to trust him. And this will be a sign for you. When you have a resurrected body in a new heavens and new earth and you see his face and you're surrounded from worshipers from every tongue and tribe and nation saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord who was and is and is to come. That'll be the sign for you.